Geopolitics and Empire is joined by Dr. Jessica Rose, who is a Canadian researcher with, with degrees in applied mathematics, immunology, computational biology, and two postdoctoral degrees, one in molecular biology and one in biochemistry. She has been researching the vaccine adverse event reporting system, VAERS, uh, in efforts to um, make this data accessible to the public. Uh, hello, Dr. Rose. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I, I hope you're doing uh, well. And, um, you know, I've been following your work as, as well as that of so many doctors who are uh, uh, in scientists, um, academics speaking out. And there's a growing number uh, of you, and it's hard to keep track of everyone now, which is a good problem. <laughs> it's a good problem to have. Um, you know, before getting into some of your current research, I always find it useful for myself and for my audience to know about, you know, where you're coming from. Uh, and what is your analysis or understanding of the past two plus years of what I call the, you know, the biosecurity state, this medical tyranny, which I, I, I label as COVID-1984? You know, what's your take on these past two years before we you know, get into some of your research? Fraud. I only have one word. The exposure of and the presence of fraud. I mean, the, the whole thing's been completely unscience-based, continues to be so. I'm kind of flabbergasted that it's still able to continue because it's so clear and evident. If you just look at anything, you can look at data, you can listen to medical doctors, you can, you can do whatever you want. And, and it's all there for you to see. This mantra of safe and eff efficacious is, is such baloney. And if people just looked a, a little bit backward in history of, of humans doing bad shit to humans, they'd actually notice that this exact same mantra, safe and effective, was used for that, uh, that um, drug that causes birth defects. I can never remember the name of it. I'm sorry. Thalidomide. Haha, <laughs> I remembered. So, uh, yes, exact same thing. I screenshotted it. I was in disbelief. I'm like, I, I just can't believe it. It's the, probably the same perpetrator. So, and I do mean perpetrators. Um, the data shows negative eff efficacy, which I never even knew was a thing until this started, uh, which means that it's actually hurting you uh, by the time you're on your third or your fourth or your fifth injection, um, which by the way, if you know anything about vaccination or boosters, that's not a thing. You should look that up too. And as far as safety is concerned, I, I just literally got off... Um, a call with a team of lawyers. It was very scary. I'm just kidding. They were really sweet. But um, the conversation revolved around the fact that it's always been that the onus is on the manufacturers and the, the officials and the mediators of safety to make sure products going into human bodies are safe. It's not up to the public to prove they're not safe. That's not our job or our duty. It's their duty. The public health officials and the mediators have to be the stopgap. Otherwise, really poisonous shit could end up in human beings. So, um, yeah, that's what I think about it. And, and it became pretty clear right away for me. Yeah. And I'm waiting. Yeah. <laughs> We've got the precedent, I mean, of big pharma. They've always been corrupt. And, you know, I, I like to cite credible people like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and, and others. And he's he, he just makes things very lucid, like succinct, where he says that, you know, we know big pharma has been corrupt. They, they've been like sued in courts 
where verdicts have found that they've mass murdered a bunch of people like he's sued them. And, and yes, they're now they've killed people knowingly with their products. But all of a sudden, when it comes to, uh, you know, vaccines, they've found Jesus, as he said. And so, um, you know, get, get, getting on to, to VAERS, then I was aware of VAERS before uh, COVID-19. I had long ago seen strange things regarding the establishment's uh, obsession with vaccination. Uh, and I mean, by establishment, big pharma, the government, academia and the media. I've read Dr. Paul Thomas's book, whose license was recently taken away, and I think he's getting it back. Um, but you know, many have pointed out how in 1989, the vaccine schedule and protocol uh, drastically increased. And from that point on, so did autism and a myriad of other children's health issues. Uh, and then Dr. Paul also published a study on how all the children in his practice, which were unvaccinated, were by far healthier than those which received the, the, the CDC full protocol or half of that uh, pro vaccine protocol. And so, um, you know, I, I'm just trying to go over things a bit chronologically and to build up to your current research. Before COVID-19, did you see any issues with vaccines or, or with the VAERS? You know, what was the VAERS database like before COVID-19 happened? I don't know. I mean, I can tell you now, but I didn't even know what VAERS was. Um, yeah, I just stumbled upon that by accident because I had my life plans diverted because of this nonsense. And I, I wanted to do something constructive. So I decided to teach myself R. And I used, I picked the VAERS database as a, as a way to do that because I, based on what I'd seen, I'm like, okay, that's going to become an interesting data set. <laughs> and I wasn't wrong. But um, no, I'm, I'm a vaccine proponent. Of course, we all are. Uh, this name calling ad hominem bullshit is just, you know, it's, it's another very clear signal that nothing here is right. And it's not about science. Um, so, yeah, it's wow. I lost my thought. Whew, my memory is like fading like a like a sieve. Um, what was I saying? My God, wasn't talking about theirs. Ask me the question again. I, need oh, I mean, just, just just before COVID-19, like I, I, I had. Learn oh, right. about that, right? Now yeah. keep going. Because <laughs> no, I, 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 I was just pointing out how before COVID nineteen, I learned about bears, and I was like just studying about vaccines, and I saw even then right. there were things people like Robert Kennedy pointing things out how you know after nineteen eighty nine they increased the vaccine protocol. I think yeah. now in America, like seventy, there's kids. The protocol is seventy two doses of vaccines, and then that's why he found the children's health events where he's seeing. Uh, all kinds of problems. And he thinks the result is that increased uh, vaccine schedule. Yeah, no, I mean, the whole thing is lunacy. And I didn't know about that either. I'm Canadian. So I, you know, I don't know about the insanity of the injection schedule that you guys have to go through in the States, which is mandatory. Also, I didn't know that. So like, but I'm, a, I was, I, I don't know how I feel right now, to be honest with you about vaccines, because I'm not even sure. I'm not sure about anything because my take on it is if if you can lie really easily about something this important, then what the hell have you been lying about the whole time? That's just a logical thought, right? So when this started, I you know, and, and the words uh, zoonotic pathogen were being thrown around. I mean, I, I study pathogenic viruses for a living using mathematics. So it's like, well, you know, I knew what that meant. So I was like, but this is something I have to keep an eye on. And this is something I'm going to be like a watchdog for, for my loved ones, because if this is really a dangerous zoonotic pathogen, which just means something that jumped from one animal species to another, which generally means it's not going to be good for the new species because they don't have immunity to it. Um, 
this could be really bad. So it became really clear really fast that it wasn't that at all. Like, and then the infection fatality rate was calculated and, and, you know, it it became just like, this, this is nothing. Like we should literally what I said, I think by April 2020 was we should just let this burn through humanity, get everyone, you know, immunized naturally, and it'll go away. Protect the elderly and the vulnerable, like we always should anyway, but nobody does. Nobody gives a rat's ass about our elders. And that's been very clear throughout this. Sorry, but that's a really sore spot for me. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, I, I, I don't know, again, how I feel about the vaccines as, as, a, as a general thing now, but I'm still... I'm 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 a scientist. I'm pro science, and I'm 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 pro things that are progressive and good uh, biologically. Um, I'm not against uh, lack of transparency, lack of informed consent, uh, forcing people to get injected with shit that they won't disclose the contents of, uh, forcing people to not be able to leave their homes, uh, dictating that people can't travel even intra country. Because they're not injected with some, you know what I mean? It's like, none of that stuff has anything to do with biology. None of that stuff has to do with uh, evolutionary dynamics, viruses. It doesn't have anything to do with it. And that's the part that really rubs me raw because we're not answering any questions that we actually should have had answers to like two freaking years ago. If the focus had been, if this had been real, a real dangerous pathogen, and the focus had been on solving that problem, it would have been solved a long time ago. You know, it's like, so it really, it really annoys me. I mean, the way that, um, the way that so many of us have been, um, like, changed in a bad way by this. I mean, like you said, medical doctors are losing their licenses they get them back because it's all based on fraud. Uh, people are having hit pieces written about them. People are losing jobs. People are committing suicide. I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's the whole thing is a, such a shit show. Um, but, you know, to, to wrap up that negative note on a positive note, I think more people are actually uh, at least starting to ask questions. And, and I think fewer people are going back for the fifth injection, I would hope. Oh, geez, don't get me started on that. A message from our sponsors. The Nomos app will help you survive COVID-1984 and the Great Reset. Nomos is a time bank that can be used by communities anywhere in the world. You just need to talk people into using it. For example, if you go to your barber for a 30-minute haircut, your barber receives 30 minutes in his time bank. He can then use that time to pay for an appointment with the doctor. I've spoken to the developer who is passionate about creating solutions for surviving and thriving in the apocalypse. Nomos is available in both English and Spanish. Hurry and visit nomos.net before they roll out the cashless society and put you in the algorithm ghetto. Also, if you need health insurance that covers you wherever you may roam, check out my friend James Guzman's Borderless Health Insurance. One of the great things about living internationally is saving money on health care, but private care overseas can be expensive. Go to borderlesshealthinsurance.com to watch a short presentation on expat and digital nomad healthcare and sign up for a free consultation to review your options. Geopolitics and Empire needs funding. You can leave a donation, book a consultation, or become a member, which gets you access to my brief weekly commentary, a monthly newsletter of my thoughts, a private telegram, 
a monthly members group call, and my second premium broadcast called Dissident Thinker, where I conduct interviews and provide solo analysis. Dissident Thinker is also available on Rockfin and for supporters on Locals. Yeah, I, I would agree with you that um, by definition, we have not been in a pandemic. I was uh, doing graduate studies in Switzerland in 2009. I was a staff assistant at the World Health Assembly, the 62nd, when it was the so-called swine flu. And then you study these things and you see they're changing the definition uh, of pandemic, you know, the WHO and being having their arms twisted by big pharma. And so by definition, we haven't been in a pandemic, wh whatever it is that we've been going through for the past two years. Uh, as far as I know, um, regarding theirs, the U.S. has this vaccine adverse reporting system. Um, I believe the EU has one and Britain. I saw on your Substack recently, you announced that I think Canada just um, created one. Uh, so are, are those most of the countries? Uh, I mean, I don't think too many countries have systems like this, no? Um, no, unfortunately, every country should. Um, it's weird because the, the U.S. collection system, this VAR system, Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, is probably the best of all of them, and it's still lamentable. I mean, it's antiquated. It's it, They made it in 1990, and it's still run by just a handful of people, and we're talking about, like, millions of entries right now, people in, in VAERS. And the the average number, total number of adverse events for all the vaccines combined up until 2020 was about 39,000 in an entire year for all the products combined. So we're like over a million for the COVID-19 injection products, only three of them in the States, the Janssen, the Moderna, and the Pfizer, the Pfizer. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's it's just not even it's hard to even talk about this anymore because it's like it's so evident. You you don't need statistics, you don't need to be a modeler, you don't need to be a mathematician or you just need to look at the graph. I call it the bungalow skyscraper graph. It's like you plot the average number of adverse events per year for the last 30 years and they all look like little houses and you look at the 2021 data only for one product and it looks like this. And if you pick any standalone adverse events, of which there are over 10,000, which is another thing that's, it's just, what? That never happened before historically. For all the products combined, we haven't had that many types of adverse events reported. And with a high rate of severe adverse event reporting, way above the average the entire time, the average number according to VAERS is about 15%. So 15% of all the adverse event reports will be severe. So we've been at least 3% above that the entire time, and we're still there. And we're talking about neurological problems, landing people in wheelchairs and stuff. We're talking about death. We're talking about hospitalizations with uh, myocardial infarctions, cardiac arrest, myocarditis, pericarditis, endocarditis, hepatological problems, liver. Every system you can think of going wrong and someone reporting about it, that's happening right now. It's its something, the owners of this data or the CDC and the FDA, and it's their job. Like I said before, it's their freaking job. That's the only thing that they're responsible for is public health and decision-making and protecting us from pharma, whose modus operandi is to profit. They're not trying to heal people, people. Like, wake up. They're there to profit. They're not there to protect you from illnesses. No, that's what the FDA and the CDC are for. So they're not doing that. They're not even looking at the data. 
Walensky and Fauci on the exact same Senate committee hearing could not answer the simple question posed to them both independently, how many deaths are in VAERS right now? Retarded. They couldn't even, they wouldn't even generate a number, which either means they don't know, which means she shouldn't be the CDC director, in my opinion, or she does know, and she's not answering the question because she knows how bad it is. So an intelligent response and a responsible response would have been, well, we're looking at over 10,000 reports, but we don't know what percentage of those are actually caused by the injections. And we're looking into that using the Bradford Hill criteria. That's what she's, she should have said. But, you know, it's like, it's the same thing, you know, nothing, nothing is right here. And th the problem is people don't know the difference between what it should be like and what it's like now, because they're making it look the same by calling it a vaccine, for example. It ain't no vaccine, people. It's not. Yeah, I can and, explain why if you yeah, want. Yeah, I had that question. Uh, we'll get to that. And uh, the, the chart you mentioned, it's on your website, and the links will be in the description of this uh, podcast so people can go look, look at the your data. And I think you on your website, your latest numbers say there's absolute death counts for COVID-19 in the U.S., something like 771,000. And with the foreign data, that's over a million, 1.1 million. I mean, we're talking about, this is like uh, the equivalent of a massive war in history, if I recall correctly. Yeah, the, yeah. The Korean way worse war. Yeah. And like the Korean War yeah. was a couple hundred thousand, or I, I can't remember now the numbers, but I mean, we're talking about, these are people being killed, like by taking these pharmaceutical uh, products and you already listed some of the major adverse events uh, here in Mexico. Um, our president was uh, originally pushing back against vaccination, especially for children. But now he's flipped the script and he's promoting vaccination for five year olds uh, and, and up. And if you could comment, just what, what are you seeing in terms of how are children being affected with with these injections? They are being affected. Uh, I just generated a plot today. Let me see if I can find it. Do 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 do. I am monitoring the children and. By the way, everybody should realize uh, that this isn't like just 12-year-olds. This is zero-year-olds. Like, I, I can't wrap my head around this, but there are mothers who are injecting like three-month-old babies, and there's a lot of them. Uh, and not only are they doing it, but their babies are ending up as VAERS reports, and some of them have died. So the numbers, just a second, I'm... I'm sifting through a long spreadsheet. <laughs> um, the <laughs> oh, here we go. Whew. Okay, so children aged zero through eighteen—that's my cutoff for a child. Maybe, maybe some people think eighteen-year-olds are children, but I think they are. Um, oops, I lost my spot again. Uh, 51,724. And something I want to point out about any number that I report here, this does not consider the underreporting factor. So another problem with VAERS, probably the biggest one, is that it is underreported because it's like a volunteer system. So what that means is that there's only a certain percentage of people because people are people who are ever going to report an adverse event. And VAERS is notoriously annoying to make a, a report in. It takes 30 minutes I hear online, and it's a multiple online page system. And if you don't complete each page 
in time, it boots you off and you have to start again. Imagine the frustration, right? If you're you're a physician who just worked a 14-hour shift and you have to enter like five VAERS entries, like, are you going to do it? So anyway, underreporting is a very real thing. And there have been calculations made. I have made one myself using the Pfizer phase three clinical trial data. And mine is the most conservative estimate, which is something around 30. So just as a loose kind of, you know, thing in your mind, multiply every number I tell you here, report on by 30. So we're looking at like 150,000. My my inner head math is bad. So forgive me. 51,724 times 30 (laughs) Uh, children age zero through 18. Um, And shockingly, children aged five through 11, that's the age group you just mentioned, right? Yeah. 10,006 reports. So that's like, you know, multiply that by 30. And remember, these aren't just the kids who are ejected. These are the kids who are ejected who have filed reports to VAERS. So it's it's shocking. Uh, these things aren't going down well with children. And the worst part about the kids story is that COVID-19, whatever the hell it is, doesn't affect kids at all. I guarantee, I guarantee you parents, if you're listening to me right now, your kid has already got COVID, has already had it. They cleared it and they didn't even know it because they have this mucosal immunity thing, IgA, it's called, in immunoglobulin A in their nose, mucus. It, it's very, very good in little people at clearing pathogens from like nosocomial infections, let's call it, things that you inhale through your nose. They're very good. They're potent little buggers. Let them do what their immune systems do. Trust me. They'll have long, lifelong, close to lifelong and robust which means that they have uh, T cells and B cells generating antibodies against a plethora of proteins, not just targeted ones in this big protein. Um, Trust me on this. Okay. Yeah. It it just blows my mind. And and it reveals once again, if you're a thinking person or you're a scientist or you're a biologist or you're a virologist or an immunologist or a, a vaccinologist, you're going to think you're going to look at this, the simple data. Kids don't get COVID. The infection fatality rate for kids is 0.000 something. Okay? Basically no kids have died from COVID. They don't need an injection. So why are you pushing an injection? Because if they get the injection on the childhood schedule in the states, they they profit enormously. It's something like $3 billion a year in profit if you get one product on the schedule. So think about it that way, people. Think profits. Think motives. Think clearly. Do I need this? Does my kid need this? No. So yeah, that's that's how I feel about that, that whole kid thing. It's like, yeah. what? I, I was just over the weekend hanging out at a barbecue here in uh, Mexico with some Mexicans and I mean, I, after hearing what you say, like, I mean, I already knew a lot of this, but one of the Mexican adults was telling me how he took his family to the, a lot of Mexicans are doing this. They're flying to the United States to vaccinate, you know, both parents and the children. And, you know, they went to, wow. they went to Tijuana, they crossed the border 
California, and then they got their shots. And what for? Did you ask? I mean, this is the, well. This goes into my next question. What I was about to ask you is that um, this level of it, it's become a really div- divisive issue. Like when you start talking about what we're talking about among one segment of this population, they just go into full zombie mode, rolling their eyes, and they get like visibly agitated. And it's like, um, you know, I was going to ask, you know, why is this? Why is it so taboo in, in society now to talk about vaccines and vaccine deaths? I mean, I, I know from last year, one elderly here in Mexico who died right, right after getting vaxxed. And I'm having friends tell me more and more here where their friends are getting, you know, 20, 30 year olds, younger people. Uh, Guillaume Barre, I had a friend of mine tell me his cousin just got Guillaume Barre out of the blue and he was vaccinated and he refused to admit it was the vaccine. Myocarditis, some of the stuff you've already listened. And it seems this Stockholm syndrome is unbreakable for a segment of the population. I can't understand it. But you know what's most dangerous about what you're saying? It's the fact that all this shit is becoming normalized. And that's the plan. If you want my serious answer about the, you know, the zombie thing, that's the psyop. And there is a psyop going on here. There, there is some kind of psychological absconsion. Some people call it brainwashing. Some people call it mass psychosis. But there's something going on here. And it's clearly something that's been programmed. And how do you get programmed? By watching programming. By, by, by maintaining a, a link to a source of information that that's air quotes for the people who are listening only uh it's not information it's it's i don't even know what to call that crap they're spouting on the legacy media um it's horrendous and it's dangerous and it's it's malfeasant and yeah um i don't yeah it's it's really something i don't give a damn about if if you're if you're one of those people who thinks i'm a moron for for you know presenting adverse event data i don't care go ahead think i'm a moron i don't need you to not think i'm a moron in order for me to know that i'm i'm doing something i believe in that is correct but whatever um the divisiveness, I believe, you know, it can be very difficult to handle for some people like families uh, getting ripped apart and uh, families, you know, children and parents even because a lot of kids are like, you know, I, I, I know, you know, we remember being kids. It's like, nah, mom, dad, you're being crazy. Like if your parents are concerned about the risk, right? Your kids are like, I would just want to go back and play basketball again. You're being stupid. Like, just get me injected. But um, the highest risk of myo, okay, the, the worst thing I'm seeing, which is why even the CDC and the FDA are talking about it in VAERS, besides like the neurological stuff, is the, um, the myocarditis in the kids because it's happening in kids primarily. Like, uh, can I share my screen for a second? I think you should be able to. I'm just going to find my figure. I have to go back through all this again. Well, there it is. That was fast. Uh, the host disabled participant screen sharing. Oh, so maybe I can't, but it doesn't matter. I'll describe it because some people are just listening anyway. Um, when you plot all of the myocarditis cases reported to VAERS with age on the x-axis from like zero to 112. Yeah, there are people that old in there. Good for them, right? <laughs> 
lasted all that time. Take it out. <laughs> anyway, I shouldn't joke, but. And on the right, or, or sorry, the y-axis is the, uh, the absolute number of reports. Then what you're going to see is a, a severe skewing of the data toward the younger age groups. And it's primarily males. Um, it's like 80-something percent of the myocarditis uh, reports. By the way, myocarditis is inflammation of the myocardium, which is the muscly uh, middle layer of your heart that allows it to beat. Um, but we're also seeing pericarditis, which is inflammation of the pericardium, which is the outer layer, and the endocardium. We're seeing, we're seeing everything. Uh, if, it's, if it can go wrong, it's going wrong. But myocarditis is being touted in, in these young people as being mild and transient. It is neither of those things. I'm penning a paper, another paper now, with Peter McCullough about uh, hospital-associated myocarditis. And most of the cases in young people are associated with, uh, the myocarditis is associated with hospitalization. No freaking parent can tell me that that's mild if your kid lands in the hospital with inflammation of their heart, okay, if they're 15 years old. Sorry, doesn't fly. And also transients know if you sustain a heart injury that lands you in the hospital when you're a kid, you're looking at a long, long-term prognosis not being so good for your heart. Um, so it's neither mild nor transient. And again, you know, th this is one of the Bradford Hill criteria, which is how you prove causality using epidemiological data. There's a criteria called specificity. The, the way that you provide evidence of causation or a causal effect is you look in specific populations. So if you look at like normally children don't have heart attacks, right? I think we can all agree on that. <laughs> and normally athletes, young athletes, like late 20s, early 30s, at the prime of their lives in the tip top shape that they're in, competed, competing professionally, probably aren't susceptible to heart attacks, right? Unless they're like, you know, doping with something. So those two groups specifically are, are the two top groups that we're seeing succumbing to these weird cardiac events. And a lot of the athletes are dying. You know, it's, it's like, these are just things that they're not refutable. You can't look away from them. It's like, this is happening. It's not meant to happen. We all know that like break free of the cognitive dissonance or whatever, you know, you, you don't want to admit and, and just ask yourself, what if, what if there actually are an alarmingly large number of athletes dropping dead from heart attacks because of these shots? You have to ask because it's not an invalid question. It has nothing to do with what you believe about vaccines. It's just a valid question about what we're seeing in the data right now. Yeah, it, it goes back to what you're you're talking about this information pipeline and uh, some of these people we, we mentioned that are normies. They just stay with the official information. They don't have the time or the interest to pursue the, the truth, and so they're just stuck. Whether it's here, the the mainstream news in Mexico, which is the same in the U.S. or Canada or wherever, they just look, you know, take a few moments to look at their official big tech feeds, you know, like Instagram and um, CNN or, or Fox. Well, you know, pe people like us, we're we're on the Telegram feeds, we're on the alternative media feeds, we're going to the official data, you know, VARES and all of this, and we're seeing this. But in their 
official news pipeline, they don't see any of this. And so they see anything outside of that is like crazy. And I, I wanted to get your thought then on the what is the vaccine? You know, people are talking about this mRNA gene therapy that alters your DNA. Now they're talking about the flu shot. The annual normal flu shot um, is going to include the mRNA technology. Um, you know, people are, are talking about graphene and, and, and all sorts of other things. W what is this thing from your point of view? Okay. Um, what I believe, and you don't have to believe what I believe, but I've, I've done nothing but investigate, analyze this for two over two years straight, okay? And this is what I do. This is how I make money. I'm a researcher. Um, what I think is that these, uh, these COVID-19 products and this whole thing is a segue into introducing new things, new injection platforms, normalizing this whole thing about getting regularly injected and digitizing the human. That's what I think. That's where this is going. Sounds insane, but I can't deny the evidence. So the, the products themselves, I'm going to focus only on the Pfizer and the Moderna, okay? Uh, there are two brand new things about these products. They're both so-called mRNA-based. mRNA stands for messenger RNA. In, in, in biology, the central tenet of biology is that DNA, which we are all composed of, it's our you know, genome, genetic structure, uh, goes to mRNA, messenger RNA, goes to protein. So we have uh, transcription and translation as, as intermediates between these three steps, so, or these three uh, nodes. So the platform, let's call it the delivery method, is completely new to humans. It's never, ever, ever been used on a large scale or in the context of a vaccine before. These lipid nanoparticles, that's what LNP stands for. So it's composed of four different kinds of lipids uh, at very specific concentrations to uh, optimize or maximize deliverability, which means getting as many as they can to slip inside cells. And one of these, these lipids is called a cationic lipid, which enables that. But upon doing so, uh, ruptures cell membranes. It's highly toxic to cells. It's something to do with the polarization. Polyethylene glycol is another one, which is surface-mounted on the lipid. And it it's also induces anaphylaxis in many people, and it's highly toxic. Um, so th that's the first thing that, uh, that has been shown in peer-reviewed studies out the yin-yang to be problematic in humans because of the toxicity issues. Now, their claim is that, well, the concentration's not blah, 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 cause problems. But I'll tell you another problem with what they're telling you versus what the actual, their data is showing. Let me just finish that thought because it's important. We were told that the lipid nanoparticles, which is the carrier of this mRNA, the modified RNA, was going to stay at the injection site and probably travel to the local draining lymph node, which is near your armpit. Not going to go anywhere else, right? That's what we we're told. No, wrong. In their own data, which was released by force because a judge told Pfizer they have to start releasing their safety data, it clearly shows, I've written substacks about this, that these LNPs are biodistributed heavily. 
And the places where they land, where they accumulate in the highest concentrations are the liver, the spleen, the ovaries, the testes, also accumulates in the brain, the adrenal glands, which regulates your blood pressure and your electrolyte levels. This is problematic. And it's problematic because they, they didn't freaking look at this before and then tell us what the results were. They knew what the results were. They knew that this biodistributed. But they told us it didn't, and they injected 7 billion people anyway, or however many. So that's problem number one. And the reason why that's problematic is because of the second thing that's brand new in this technology, which is the modified RNA. This is not messenger RNA per se. This is modified RNA. So they took this spike protein. God knows what that is, by the way, um, which is just a sequence of amino acids that, you know, when translated becomes a protein, which is the spiky bit on, on a coronavirus. You know, that's why they, they call it a coronavirus because corona means crown. And crown, yeah. With spikes. So they took this spike protein, the coding material, and they modified it to, in two primary ways that they told us about. They substituted two residues with prolines, which basically kept it in a closed conformation, so the pre-fusion conformation, to ensure you know that it wouldn't be able to bind, et cetera, et cetera, and induce downstream signaling in the ACE2 receptor, which is its cognitive receptor. And number two, they replaced all the uridines with pseudouridines. And the reason why they claim they did this is to make it less uh, visible to the innate immune system to make it last longer. Oh, it lasts longer. Remember what they said? Oh, no, the mRNA is it's very you know, fragile. It's not going to stick around. So what they did, they, because that's true, mRNA is very fragile. They stabilized it using a, a number of techniques. It's genius, but it's evil, if you ask me, because it wasn't properly tested. That's the evil part. And so it's very stable. They found it recently in a peer-reviewed journal to be, uh, to be in the, um, the germinal centers of the lymph nodes, which is where all the B cell stuff happens, 60 days after injection. Other papers, peer-reviewed, not in preprint, have shown that the spike protein itself, which is the alleged you know, byproduct of translation, sticks around for like 15 months. So nothing they said seems to be the truth. And that's based on their own data. This isn't conjecture. It's not my opinion. It's their data, their documents that they were forced to release by a judge under order. So the problem with what I'm saying right now is that it's possible that none of this is going to affect human beings. Eh, maybe we're all going to be fine, right? But maybe we're not. And maybe that's why we're seeing all these adverse event reports. <laughs> if you have an accumulation in ovaries of lipid nanoparticles, which they're not supposed to be there, right? And then they do what they do, which, you know, they dump their payload, which is this modified RNA, mRNA. The ribosomes get to work. They convert this to protein, whatever the proteins are going to be, in mass quantities. And these are released. And if this protein is cytotoxic, let's say, What's going to happen? What's going to happen to the female reproductive system? We don't know. The studies weren't done. Mutagenesis studies weren't done. Let me, let me say it another way. 
Most of the time, when you're trying to deliver a pharmaceutical product or biological product, which vaccines are to the public, you have to do full mutagenicity and genotoxicity studies and pharmacokinetic studies. They did none of these. And it's clearly listed in their document. We did not check this. The reason why? Because it's not meant to cause problems. That was the reason. Not meant to cause problems. Oh, but shit, it did. And yeah, you're on your own. That's the story here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you get injured, you're on your own, man. Yeah. And you touched previously on the, I would agree with you of where, where they're going with this. They want to normalize this infrastructure for what, um, yeah. you know, the, and, it is an infrastructure. That's exactly what it is. And I would agree with you in a lot of my past guests and that it's moving towards this transhuman aspect, this digitalization. Uh, and so, for, the, for those of us that have so far, we've avoided the vaccine and all of the, the, these problems that come with it, secondary effects and death. So we've we've sidestepped this, you know, first shot uh, at us. And the second, you know, the thing that and, and that's I mean, that, that could kill us. It's killing people right now. So we, some of us have survived that. Um, and then the thing that really I'm freaked out about, that's the, the second part of this is the digital aspect. Uh, you know, my biggest con- concern beyond the vaccinations ha- has been the vaccine passport. You know, I was living in Kazakhstan from 2017 to 2020. Uh, and I, immediately I saw that, you know, we're not in a pandemic, something else is going on. And I decided to flee back here to Mexico because I saw this technocratic system being put into place. And I don't want to be stranded in Central Asia because over there now you have to use the apps. They have these apps that prove your green status, which is your vaccine status. Without it, you can't enter like in, into shops uh, for a time you couldn't fly. Um, and then in June of 2020, I spoke with renowned Jewish historian, Edwin Black, who discussed this cashless digital system. And he refers to it as eugenics, like eugenics and the algorithm ghetto playing on the, the, you know, the, the Jewish ghetto where people were physically placed into these ghettos. And, you know, I recently spoke with Stephen Mosher, the head of the Population Research Institute. He was the first social scientist allowed to enter China with free reign and access in 1979. And he says that the pandemic is being used to get us to take the vaccines and then to in order to get us to use the vaccine passports, which in turn will basically establish the social credit system, which will force us to obey the government. And if you don't, you can't buy food. Uh, even here in Mexico, as you, as you mentioned, the interna- internal Soviet-style passports in the state where I am, Jalisco, the governor has proposed recently requiring vaccine passport for entering or exiting the state. Uh, another state in Mexico um, had made it for a time mandatory to go into supermarkets uh, or even go to a park in nature. You had to be uh, vaccinated. And we've seen countries, as you mentioned, Austria or, or Philippines, you couldn't leave your house uh, unvaccinated. And if you were caught on the streets, You'd be fined by Duterte's uh, government. And you've also mentioned on your Substack the known traveler digital uh, identity. So what are your thoughts on this vaccine passport system? Agreed. That's where this is heading. Um, yeah, I live in a place where that crap has been on the go for over a year. Uh, haven't been to a restaurant in about 18 months, probably more, which is fine. You know, I became a really good cook, but I do love going to restaurants. But you know what I love even more? getting to decide what the hell goes in my freaking body. Thank you very much. Um, Yeah, I I just, I'm not sure how people can't see parallels with historically, you know, documented events that weren't even that long ago. I cannot understand how people don't understand how humans do really shitty things to each other a lot of the time. 
it's it's a fact. If you live in with rose-colored glasses on your face, then that's good. But don't criticize people who don't. That's that's you know one thing I'd like to say. But it's so it's again it's it's like the normalization. It's so devious and slow, and it's just eating away little bits. You know, they let the loose the noose go a little bit, and then they tighten it, and then they let it go a little bit, and then they tighten it, and people can't see. One of these days, they're going to tighten it in a way that you're not going to like. You know, you might be fine with it all now. Okay, I got injected. I didn't have any adverse events. I'm, I'm doing my stupid papers that I have to, you know, show thug cash members, you know, who, who, who's, who are hired by who knows who. You know, like, maybe that's okay with you. Maybe it's just a, a, a bothersome thing that you have to put up with every day. But... What, it, what, what, what about when, not if, when? If you get to buy food depends on this little score on this card, which might actually be embedded under your skin, or it might just be a, a card or a thing on your phone. What if your score's not high enough because they didn't like something that you did, like you walked off the sidewalk onto a green space, for example? I'm not exaggerating here. This is how I see this going. Whatever they they consider, whoever they are, to be out of line, which is basically just not being an automaton, wearing the exact same thing, doing the exact same thing, you know, blah, 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 the serfs, you know. If you fall out of line, you will be removed. There are going to be a lot, I know this is going to sound scary, but I, I, I'm I, I hope it does scare people who are listening because there are going to be a lot of deaths coming up soon. I'm not talking about injections. I'm talking about food shortages and water wars are going to start. I mean, I'm sure of it. You know, there, there, there has to be a reason why these psychopathic billionaires are buying up all the farmland and trying to incentivize people who still are farmers to not be farmers anymore. Think about that. You know, it's... um. We're looking at some hard times ahead. That's why people like me and and other people like you are fighting back because there's it's more than a feeling that something is wrong here. It's very visible to me. It's it's almost like I can't not see it everywhere I look now. It's just it, there's the world's gone mad. Um, and if you're not angry and fighting back every freaking day right now, as far as I'm concerned, then you're not seeing things clearly. You're not seeing the truth. It's, it's not fun, but um, it also won't be forever if we, if we fight back now. I think this is our last chance, people. I really do. Yeah, I, I would agree. And even from the beginning, 2020, I've been saying like, I mean, this is it. They're they're pulling their, you know, whatever you want to call it, New World Order thing. And I've been saying this is like the 1930s, but even worse, you know, where we saw the rise of <clears throat> all types of tyrants and all of the horrors that happened. You know, the uh, Great Depressions, economic collapse, um, world wars. And it's I feel like we're, we're, yeah, we're wearing that again. Like troughs and valleys. It's been going on forever. But this is way worse because of the digitization control component and the AIs, of course. I mean, geez, we haven't even talked about that. Well, and, and if you could comment on the WHO pandemic treaty, which is going up for adoption in 2024. And again, all nations are pretty much going on, on board with it. And this is basically 
I see it. It's it, for me the main thing is it's a world government. Whoever these people, they've been striving for uh, you know one single planetary regime where they can control all nations, and based you know a lot of things are accelerating this process. The, the pandemic, they're using climate change and you know nuclear war, all, all sorts of things to scare us to get us to sign these documents, which is going to give them total control over our nation states and us. You know, what, what's your thought on this pandemic treaty? It will be the loss of sovereignty, self and country, nation. Like there, that's the end. If this thing goes through, it's the end. Like there, there won't be anything that we can do. There will be civil war because people won't accept it. But um, that, that is, it doesn't take a lot of like thinking to, to imagine, especially after what we've been through in the last two years, which is still unbelievable to me, if there's a world government, which there will be if this treaty goes through, then they declare an emergency for whatever reason they want to because of an innocuous you know, virus that was probably just the flu, <laughs> um, then they can do whatever they want. And I'm not exaggerating. The Emergency Measures Act allow them to do whatever they freaking want. They can lock up every single human being. If we're digitized and we have a social credit score by then, which people seem to just be like falling right into, you won't eat if they don't want you to. It's that simple. I mean, that's how scary this is. I, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a pro, uh, against this thing very, very much. And I'm, I'm trying in my own way to make sure that as many people know about it, first of all, because you, you can't oppose it if you don't know about it. Um, and if anyone wants to read that, uh, go to the World Council for Health website. Uh, it's Shabnam Mohammed and, uh, and Tess Lari, who are like the main brainchilds behind children, uh, behind this amazing Stop the Treaty movement. Um, it needs to be a real global movement and the powers that be like have to say no thanks <laughs> or on my own country. <laughs> you, you, if I had a country, I'd put two fingers up in the air and I'd say, pardon my language, but go fuck yourself. I'm not signing up. Yeah. Um, we recently had the defeat the mandates rally where I think you gave a speech uh, virtually. And uh, you've also talked about, you know, the handful of good men and women that we have, such as Senator Ron Johnson, we've got DeSantis in, in Florida holding his own. So there is some momentum. People, listeners know that I'm I'm pessimistic at this point. I, can, <laughs> I continue to fight, but um, I just see us heading into this dystopian system. You know, are you optimistic that we'll be able yes. to turn the tyrannical tide? Yes, I'm. I'm forever optimistic. Um, and there's no reason not to be right because like all you can do is be who you are. And so as long as you're true to yourself and you know, that, that's, that's one of the keys though. People need to be true to themselves and for that to happen, they need to find out who they are first, which means they need to reconnect, um, which means disconnecting from a lot of the bullshit. So find yourself and be true to yourself. And, uh, and I, I think that we can find our humanity again. I think the, 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 you know, the number of people who outnumber them is so great. Uh, you know, like, I think we will be okay. I am optimistic, but I'm still, um, 
very disturbed, let's put it that way, by my own species. And the fact that after all these years, they still haven't learned a goddamn thing. They still don't know that fraud doesn't work. You will always be found out and liars will always be revealed because the truth is the truth. You know, it's like, it won't work. So like, instead of being psychopaths and assholes, why don't you try and create a, a, a progressive, beautiful society where you're going to be better and everyone's going to be better and we can all be our creative selves. You know, I, I have all these cheesy like visions of how humans can actually be and how harmonious we could actually be on this gorgeous planet. So I, I try and stick to that. Mother Nature is, is, is such a genius and I, I revere her. So I, I try and um, follow her lead. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, speaking about how bad things can get, you know, I, I I'm personally trying to also move out to a rural part of Mexico, and I, I get calls from people on a weekly basis from all parts of the world uh, for advice, seeking to they're, they're coming down to Mexico because they see it one of the last bastions of um, it'll buy you more time in terms of freedom, or in general, just people are just trying to build parallel societies and um, go to rural areas because this is stuff yep. that we're talking about will first happen in the urban areas, smart cities and all of that. Do you have any um, other issues that you want uh, us to know or, or final thoughts? Um, yeah, reconnect with, with Mother Earth and grow a garden. Um, spend time with your with the people you really love, um, hug and, uh, and, and, and do the things that we as human beings can do. Cause there, there, there are some things we can't do. We can't fly for example, but we can't touch each other and it, it feels nice. So do that, you know, like do things that feel nice and that make you feel good. Like follow your heart and your instincts and, uh, and don't be hard on yourself. Uh, I was thinking about this today. A lot of people who've been, you know, who, who, who got injected might have buyer's remorse. Don't be hard on yourself. Be grateful if you feel good um, and use it as a learning opportunity. And yeah, don't be hard on yourself, uh, no matter how this turns out. Like if we end up finding out that these things are like the worst poison in the universe and you had it put into you still don't be hard on yourself go with how you feel uh yeah listen listen to your body listen to your heart and and take care of it like you only have one so yeah that's my 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 leaving thought i think <laughs> oh good good advice I've, I've heard some other people also talking along these lines just enjoy the simple uh, you know things uh, in life as you said family nature and so on um where would be the best place for people to find you is it jessicar.substack.com yeah i i usually put out material every day i've been on a bit of a hiatus but uh i'm getting back now um and uh, i also have a website where you can find various updates and analyses called jessica's universe it's really simple to find uh, you can find my publications, uh, my, my previous publications, some select ones, um, all of my interviews 
I, I've had some really um, great ones. Th this one too, I, I, I have fun during these interviews. It's nice to share. Um, yeah, and all sorts of goodies. You can find uh, resources like uh, different websites, different freedom fighting groups and, and, and that kind of thing. All right. Well, uh, I'll, I'll include all of the links in the description so people can go there. And also, you know, I, I have guests that are more pessimistic like me or others that are optimistic like yourself. And so thank you for bringing us this dose of uh, optimism. And uh, thank you for being on Geopolitics and Empire. My pleasure. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this Geopolitics and Empire podcast. The website is geopoliticsandempire.com, and I encourage you to sign up for the free email list that goes out with each podcast and every weekend with a collection of news headlines. The newsletter and website are our last lines of defense. We're being censored and deplatformed. It's nearly impossible to find Geopolitics and Empire on the Google search engine. We've been blacklisted. YouTube frequently takes down our videos with strikes. Facebook restricts our page. Reddit and Twitter take down posts. And after the Associated Press mentioned geopolitics and empire in a 2021 article co-written with NATO, our Patreon account was terminated. Vimeo also terminated our pro account. The best free way to help geopolitics and empire is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere and subscribe to all of our media channels. You can find the video broadcast now on five platforms, Odyssey, Rockfin, Rumble, BitChute, and Brighteon. You can find the audio broadcast on the podcast ecosystem, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, and so on. My current favorite social media channels are Twitter and Telegram, but you can also find us on Gab, MeWe, Minds, Float, VK, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Finally, Geopolitics and Empire is in dire need of funding to continue. You can leave a donation, purchase a consultation with the host, or become a member to receive additional benefits. We also produce a weekly broadcast called Dissident Thinker for members and Rockfin subscribers only. We will continue to fight the good fight come hell or high water. Thank you for listening.